Okay, we're getting a new series this morning, as you saw on the bumper this morning, The Heart of Worship. And I'm going to be talking for the next few weeks about worship. And I'll just give an overview, I'm going to be talking about the expectations of worship, the experiences of worship, and the expressions of worship. So we'll be talking about worship, and worship is so important. So if you have your Bibles, you want to follow me in your Bibles, turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. We'll be talking this morning about worship and warfare. Worship and warfare. Let me begin by saying there is a distinctive difference between praise and worship, even though they're intertwined, right? First part of our, of our uh, music this morning, first part of our worship time this morning is it's praise, we're praising God. We're lifting Him up, and, and it's those upbeat type of things. We're thanking Him and praising Him. The last part of our worship is about worship. Praise is about the good acts of God toward us. When we feel those things, when we see what He's providing for us, we want to praise Him. We want to thank Him. The Bible says, enter His gates with thanksgiving, into His courts with praise. So we're thanking him. I remember several years ago, in fact, it's been about 20-something years ago now, one Sunday morning after church, I was pastoring another church, and a lady came up to me and had me an envelope, and she said, will you give this to Ms. Phillips? And I didn't know what it was about. I thought it was a note or something, and so I took the envelope, and after service, we got home, I gave it to Brenda, and Brenda opened it up, and in that envelope, there were nine $100 bills. And she started crying. And I said, why are you crying? She said, because this is what we needed to really pay the rest of our debt this month. She said, I never told a soul. No one knew but God because I was praying. And we praised God for his good act. And there have been many of those acts throughout my life and throughout your life if you acknowledge that, right? But worship is more about Looking at God and seeing God for who He is, like the last song. Looking at God, seeing who God is, because God is holy. And the word holy means otherness. It means there's no one like this on this earth like God. He has otherness, and we don't have that. He is holy. That means otherness. He is omnipotent. That means He is all-powerful. He is omnipresent. That means He is with you wherever you go, with anyone in this world. And he's omniscient, which means that he is all-knowing. There's nothing that comes into your life that God doesn't know about. Now, we all fight our battles. All of us have our battles in life every single day. I'm fighting a battle today with a little bit of a health problem. Other people are fighting other battles today. And I think there can be financial battles. There can be relational battles. There can be vocational battles, career battles. We can all be fighting our battles. But today I want to show you how worship, how worship can give you victory in the midst of your battle. Then Second Chronicles chapter 20, we're looking at a king by the name of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah. At that time, the, the kingdom was split, and it was the king of Judah. And so Jehoshaphat was a good king. He was a military strategist. He was a great guy. He was a great king. People loved him and adored him. But Jehoshaphat made a mistake, a critical mistake, because he aligned himself with the evil King Ahab. And Ahab talked him into going to battle with him against Ramoth Gilead. And they went to battle. And Ahab was killed in that battle. 
And the only way that Jehoshaphat survived the battle was he disguised himself. And no one knew who he was. The only reason. So now he is, and he's back here, and, and he's back at Judah. And look with me at Second Chronicles chapter 20 in verse 1. And it happened after this that the people of Moab and the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are Hazazon and Tamar, which is in Engedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Now we're talking about worship in the battle. Here is Jehoshaphat hearing that these three uh, countries are coming after him. They're coming to destroy Judah. They're coming to destroy him. And Jehoshaphat says, what am I going to do? And so what I want to do this morning is give you briefly seven particular steps in worship will allow you to win the battles of life. Number one, the first thing you need to do is to circle the problem. Circle, and that is identify the problem. Focus on what the problem is. So look at verse 10 of, of chapter 20. And now here, here are the people of Ammon and Moab and Mansir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt. But they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given to us to inherit. So what did Joshua do? He identified the problem. There was a lot of turmoil going on around him. A lot of people were telling him different things. A lot of things were going on in his mind. But Joshua said, I must identify the problem. And I'm going to circle myself around the problem. It's very important anytime you're facing a situation in life or a battle in life, the first thing you need to do is surround the problem. Circle the problem. Identify the problem clearly. Now, what did Jehoshaphat do? He set himself to seek the Lord. He set himself to seek the Lord. First thing he did, most, of, most people would think, well, he, he's a military strategist. He pulled together an army. He'd get a plan. He'd have a battle plan. He'd be ready for them when they came. He didn't do any of that. See, the human, the, human in, the human instinct tells us when we're facing a battle in life, we need a plan. We have to do something. We have to do something. And the first thing Joshua did was go after the favor of God. God, I need you. God, I can't do this. God, you're going to have to do this for us. And I remember in, in reading a book years ago, and many of you, I gave the book too, called The Circle Maker. The Circle Maker by, by, by Mark Batterson is a phenomenal book on prayer. And in that particular book, he talks about a man by the name of Honai. And Honai was in the interbiblical period, which meant between the prophets, the Old Testament, and the New Testament, he lived. There was no prophet in that day. There's no one to bring the Word of God. And yet here was Israel in this huge famine and, and cattle were dying and everything was dying and the people didn't know what to do. And Honai lived outside the city of Jerusalem. And they thought, he's, he's strange. He's weird. But we know he has a way to contact God. So they call him. He's what they called a sage in those days. 
And they call him in, and in his, in his eccentricity, he came in and he said, okay, here's the problem. We need rain. So he took his staff and he drew a circle. And he, he moved into that circle. And he prayed for rain. And he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. And he said, God will not leave this circle. I will not leave this circle until you bring rain. And he prayed and it began to drop. And rain began to come and the clouds formed and the drops came and more drops and more drops and more drops. And it began to wet everything around it. Everything around it began to get wet. And, and on I made a statement and said, Lord, that's not enough. I didn't come just for that. I came for a rain. And the story goes that when it began to rain, it was almost like a flood. Because one man circled the problem and one man had the audacity to go after the favor of God. Anytime you're facing a battle, where do you go first? Do you go to yourself? Do you look for a plan? Do you talk to another person? Or do you actually seek God first? The second thing we do in worship when we are facing a battle is we cease all trust in self. Look at verse 12. He says in verse 12, O our God, you will not judge them, for we have no power against this great multitude that's coming against us, nor do we know what to do. You have to admit you don't know what to do. You have to admit I am helpless here. I have no earthly idea what I am going to do. And what was he saying? There's no place I look. There's nowhere I look where I find help. Nowhere. And so, God, we don't know what to do, so we're, we're ceasing all trust in ourselves. We have to admit that first. And our pride sometimes will not allow us to admit that. In 1965, there was a groundbreaking experiment by a psychologist called Martin Sigelman. And Dr. Sigelman pulled together some dogs. You've heard, the, you've heard the, about the experiment before. Put them in a long box. In the middle of the box, there was a little partition, something they could get over. One side of that box had an electrical current in the floor. And so he would, he would hit the electri electrical current, and the dogs on that side would jump to the other side. He did it several times. And then he harnessed the dogs so they couldn't get across the barrier. So they had to stand there and take all of that electrical current. And the dogs would yelp, and the dogs would pull, and they would do everything they could within their strength to get free, but they couldn't get free. So you know what they finally did? When they would give them electric current, they just lay down. Just lay down. And he called that particular thesis or that particular theory, he called it learned helplessness. Learned helplessness. We have to get to the place where we know there's nothing we can do. I am helpless in this situation. So important. Cease trust in self. We have to understand that. We have to come to that place of understanding that. And we know that when we get to that place, then we know that God can move in. The third thing we need to do in a time of battle is have complete concentration on God. Complete concentration on God. Listen to verse 12 again. He says, our God, will, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that's coming against us. Nor do we know what to do. Listen. But our eyes, our eyes are upon you. We are focused on you. 
our, our, our concentration is on you. We've come to that place where we don't know what to do. You are only help. See, the magnitude of the problem was obvious. The inability of humanity to take care of it was obvious. So the only thing they could do was to reach out to God. This is the mood. Listen to me. This is the mood of all praise and all worship. Complete, it's hard to do, complete concentration on God. Have you ever seen a pigeon walk? You ever studied it? Really interesting. After I read this particular illustration, I began to, began to look at birds and began to watch and when I could find a pigeon and watch them. You know what pigeons do? Pigeons will not go, da, 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 da. pigeons take a step and they stop and they look around. Take another step and they stop and they look around. Take another step and they stop. And they, you know why they do that? Because they have to regain focus every step. And every time we are following God, every time God is leading us, we have to take a step and stop and focus on Him. Because what we want to do, what we naturally want to do, is want to go, it's okay, God, I can get there by myself now. No. We have to cease all trust in self. We have to come to that place with complete concentration on God. You see, God has the plan. We don't. We have to understand that. The fourth thing, we have to continue before God. Continue before God. Look at verse 19, if you would. Verse 19. Here's what the Scripture says. Then the Levites of the children of the Kohalites, the children of the Korites, stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with voices loud and high. So they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. What did they do? They were continuing with God. Verse 13 tells us. Verse 13 says, Now all Judah with all their little ones, their wives and their children, stood before the Lord. They stood before the Lord. They stood before the Lord continuously. They stood before the Lord and waited on God to show them what to do. I'm reading a book right now called, it's called Sticking to It. It's a book about adherent, adherence. It means, to, it means that when you're adhering, that you are sticking to something, you are focused on something, you're staying with it, and you're going to stick with it until it is done. And the only way you can do that is systematically. That means you have to develop a system. And when you develop your system, that isn't enough. You have to stay with that system. You have to stay with it. You can't just develop it and go, okay, I have a system now, but I'm not putting forth any effort. I'm not going to discipline myself to do it. I'm not going to do that. And the important thing is, if we're not willing to do it, if we're not willing to stay before the Lord, if we're not willing to focus on Him, if we're not willing to concentrate on Him, if we're not willing to continue before Him every day, then we're not going to get what He wants for us to have. Very important. Not easy in the beginning. 
Not easy in the beginning at all. The fifth thing, confess the truth of God. Confess the truth of God. Look at verse 19. Verse 19 again says, Then the Levites and the children of the Korites, the children of the Korites, stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. So they rose early in the morning, and they went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. What is he saying? Believe the word of God. And then confess the word of God. We have to confess it. And what does it mean to confess? It means to, it means to speak it emphatically. Speak it emphatically. When you are in a situation and you need a word from God and you find it in the Bible, you continue to speak that emphatically over your life. And over the life of those around you, it's so important. There is, listen, there is power in the word. There's power in the word. You know, the Bible has the power to refute. To refute. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God for reproof. When you hear things that are not biblical, you hear things that don't line up with the Scripture, you can reprove that. The second thing we know is that has the power to reproduce. Because Jesus said in Luke chapter 8 verse 11, talking about the Word of God and how it falls on different types of soil. On different types of soil. He says that the hard ground stays on top. Not going anywhere. There's the shallow ground. It's going to go down a little bit, and then the sun's going to bring it up, or the, the, it's going to grow, and then it's going to die. Then there's the hard ground. That, that, that rocky ground, that thorny ground, when it starts to grow, it chokes it out. And then there's the good ground. There's the good soil, and the good soil is our hearts. When we look at the Word of God, we believe the Word of God. We confess the Word of God. Something happens inside of us. And that's exactly what Jehoshaphat was saying to them. There's a sixth thing. Commit to obey God. Commit to obey God. Look at what verse 21 says. When he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the, the beauty of holiness. And they went out before the army and were saying, Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. So what, you've heard this story so many times. You've been in church any length of time at all. He pulled the worship team together. He put them out front. The army was behind. And they go out to the battlefield. And they're singing. And they're singing praises to God. I read a com commentary the, uh, the other day where one commentator made a statement. He said, you never see any mention of swords or spears or armor the army. You don't see it. doesn't mean it wasn't there. But he said, you never hear any mention of that. All you hear is the, the army was marching behind the worship team as they were going out to the battle and as they were praising the Lord. Very important to understand that. And sometimes when we commit to obey God, it's not easy. And sometimes with their, Lord, I'm going to do this. Lord, I know this. Lord, I need to do this. I need to do this. I know I have to do this. And I will do it. And then we don't. And we break our commitment. I've done it 
If you're honest, you've done it also. I read about a particular soldier in Iraq, and, and as he was over there, he had had a girlfriend before he left the States, and they had committed to each other. So when I come back, I'm going I'm to get you an engagement ring. I want to marry you. He said, I want to marry you also. That's what she said. So he's over there, and after six months or so, he receives a, a Dear John letter, which basically means I'm breaking up with you, right? And so he reads the letter, and his heart is broken. And then he, he gets another letter that says, I'm now engaged to someone else, and we're going to be married in a few months. And then he gets another letter that says, listen, you have a picture that I gave you. Would you send that picture back to me? Because I want to use it in my wedding announcement photo. And so the guy is brokenhearted. He is brokenhearted. He goes and tells his fellow soldiers, his guys, he goes, his brothers, he goes, I don't know what to do. Man, I'm brokenhearted, and I, I have to send her picture back. And one of those guys had a bright idea. He said, here's what you need to do. He said, let's get all of our friends together, and let's, let's get pictures of their girlfriends. And you send them all back. Send every one of them back to her. And then we want you to write this at the bottom of the letter. Here are all the pictures. Just pick yours out because I forgot what you look like. <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm certainly not endorsing that, and I'm certainly not saying do that. But I am saying I wonder what God feels like when we break a commitment. I wonder what he feels like. Would he be brokenhearted like that soldier? I mean, really. And like I said, I've done it. If you're honest, you have also. Seventh thing. Once you do all of that, follow those six steps. Seventh step is collect the spoils of war. Notice the rest of the story. The Bible says in verse 22, now, when they began to sing and to praise the Lord, set an ambushes against the people of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. For the people of Ammon and of Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. When they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. So when Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and there were dead bodies fallen on the earth, and no one had escaped. And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away their spoils, they found among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies and precious jewelry, which they stripped off of them for themselves, and more than they could carry. And they were three days gathering the spoil because there was so much. So before they arrived at the battlefield, the worship team was singing, and they were praising God, and they were worshiping God. And when they arrived there, they had found the enemy had turned on each other. And because they had turned on each other, they had killed each other, and there was no one left. In fact, the Bible says no one escaped. They were all dead. Every single enemy was dead. And then they began to look around and see the valuables, the jewelry, and all the other things. And they collected the spoils of war. And in collecting the spoils of war, it took them three days to carry all of that back to Jerusalem. Three days. Wow. You see, 
when you and I fight our battles, when you and I fight our battles, because the Bible says in this particular, Jehaziel the prophet came to Joshua and said, the battle is not yours. The battle is the Lord's. And I heard a preacher say one time, God just wants his battle back. Because we battle it. We battle it with our children. We battle it in relationships. We battle it in, in our vocations. We battle it financially. We're battling all the time. And yet what he's saying is God wants you to say, hey, acknowledge the battle. Recognize you're in a battle. Circle that thing around. Circle that problem. And then give it to me. You worship me. You praise me. And you believe I'm going to do it. And I will. My friends in school always said I was a little different, and I am. And so I, I love to, I, I use my imagination a lot. And, and I just want to share something with you this morning, and I just basically call it drawing from the well. Because every message is like a well. And there's a lot of depth to it if it's scriptural. And so when you get into the depth of it, if, have you ever been to a, a well? I mean, an old well. My grandfather had one. And we'd go out sometimes and, Take that bucket and let it in that well and get it down. And you hear it hit the water, you'd roll it back up. Be filled with water. But I had to go to the depths to get it. So let me just bring this to a close by giving you four things to kind of sum this up. Number one, battles are a part of life. You cannot escape battles. You're going to, you're going to run into battles everywhere you go. Just accept it. Expect it. Know that it's coming. Number two, God wants, to recognize the, wants us to recognize the battle and then give that battle to him. So important to do that. Surrender it. And number three, when we fight the battles, when we fight the battles, we are taking from God what belongs to him. Think about that. The battle is the Lord's. You know what that's saying? He's saying, that belongs to me. That's my battle, not your battle. That's my battle, and you're taking it away from me. Give it to me. And the fourth thing is this. If we fight the battles ourselves, there'll be no appreciation for the spoils of war. But if we allow our God to fight the battle, we will have more than we could ever imagine. God wants his battle back. And God says, if you will worship me and focus on me and adore me and believe I can, I will.